with the employee shortage, it's the first time where I, when we take tours and we walk through, more people are asking about the employees. Usually they ask about the machines, the factory, you know, how they run things, how they ship things. And now the first question is, tell me about the employees. How many you got? Can we keep them? How, who, who's the key ones? It's the employee retention part is so hot. It's the number one item on the due diligence list. Welcome to the MDBI Trends and M&A Podcast. I'm Greg Finn with Wifley Corporate Finance Advisors, your host for today's broadcast. Today's guest is Tom Kintis, president of CGK M&A Advisors. Tom is also a past president and current board member of MBBI's Wisconsin Chapter and Board of Governors. He is also a current MBBI Wisconsin Chapter sponsor. Welcome, Tom. Please introduce yourself and your firm. Super. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank um, MBBI for the opportunity also. Love being a member uh, for almost 13 years now with MBBI. Um, I'm president of CGK M&A Advisors. We are a <coughs> intermediary. We do buy and sell side transactions for clients across the United States, primarily focused on distribution and manufacturing companies and you know sometimes we get into service but for the most part we tend to focus in on that area that of uh, companies that usually do at least a million dollars or more of EBITDA and get up to about 15 million is pretty much the top side of what where our practice is so nice lower market middle market niche exactly no publicly held companies like you do but we uh, we managed to work with a lot of great people who built a lot of great companies terrific um Hey, Tom, before we get into the discussion and kind of get your general market observations, uh, what led you to get into the M&A advisory business? You know, um, years, I hate to say it, it's been like 34 years that I've been doing M&A deals, um, but I got into it by accident by just applying to an ad in the paper at a, at a law firm that was doing needed a financial analyst to evaluate deals. And after that, it just snowballed right into a career in M&A. Terrific. So 34 years, and I thought you were 34 years old. I just, I started very young. I should point that out. <laughs> okay. Well, you've been very active in the Wisconsin market. Uh, we appreciate all your support uh, for MBBI. You know, one of the topics I wanted to kind of hit on today was, you know, what are you seeing in an overall market, uh, you know, from an M&A perspective over the last 12 months? Uh, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, deal flow, process, valuation. You got it. Um, be happy to. The, it's been a very interesting year because obviously we're coming off the year of the pandemic and it always makes things really interesting to look at companies, uh, the post-pandemic. And it's one of those situations where the pandemic year was sort of like, when we look at financials, we all race 2020, but there's a lot of companies out there that don't want us to erase 2020 because they actually, you know, the pandemic turned into a free-for-all for all of them and, and the company just exploded into growth. And now we march into 21, which let's call it our first normal year back. And a lot of companies are now repositioned and saying, hey, we should sell the company now that we've grown it to this level and take it to market. And it's not, it's made valuations kind of an interesting uh, viewpoint because 
You don't know if you should be looking at 2020 or you should ignore 2020. And is 2021 sustainable? So it's created a lot of risk factors for people when they look at the valuations in 2021. No, definitely agree. And I don't really know if we're still in a normal yet uh, for 2021. The pandemic is still going on. Some companies have benefited through COVID. Some companies still are uh, hurting from COVID. Um, um, what else are you seeing in terms of, you know, the deal flow, uh, the transaction structures uh, with your clients, uh, transaction values, due diligence? We still see a lot of deal flow. I mean, the, the buyers the buyers are still out there. I mean, it just, it just never ends. Um, I always like to tell people that when I started in this business years ago, we thought it was a lot. We thought it was a lot of money when there was two hundred billion dollars of dry powder, and now there's a trillion dollars of dry powder in private equity chasing all these deals. Um, I had one of my interns one time do an analysis of all my emails I get in a week, and I averaged three point two emails from private equity groups a day asking what businesses we were selling, basically 16, 16 times a week. And these are private equity groups. Sometimes I've never heard of before. Some, you know, they give the assignment to find, so they are chasing deals like there's no tomorrow, which is why when you look at valuations these days, we're, we're, we're at the high of the market. It, it isn't really, hasn't climbed past what's called the high, it's plateaued. Um, there's some nice deals out there to be had, but just like the stock market, everything has gone, you know, to a higher level and lower interest rates hasn't, you know, has basically helped a lot of people buy those companies. Yeah, between the dry powder, um, both at the private equity fund level, and we are seeing a lot of new funds being created um, to the strategic level. You know, what are they going to invest in? How are you going to accomplish growth? And, you know, what used to be a low growth environment, now it's a transitory. We can kind of kind of talk about that a little bit later. Um, tell us about your deal processes. Uh, are you doing anything different these days? Um, are they expedited? Um um, what are you seeing in terms of the transaction structures, more cash or less cash? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. We used to, when we started out doing a lot of deals, we'd look at, we'd always try to do a mix between what's called financial private equity companies and synergistic. And I remember one of my guys coming to me a list with a preliminary list of a company we were selling and said, hey, you know, here's the list I think of companies we should go to. And it was all private equity groups. And I turned to him, I said, well, we need to also take a look at some of the companies because obviously they're going to be the competition to private equity and the synergies they'll buy. In which case he pointed me over to another column, which had the subcategory, the fact that all, all of the companies that were in the industry were all owned by private equity already. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it turned into, which is great. So they were strategic, but also financial. Exactly. In that they they yeah. basically, and more and more we're seeing, you know, uh, the private equity groups are back in their synergistic platforms and going and, and basically giving them the money. And we, you know, we just went through a whole process of about six or seven transactions over the last three years where basically we just shoveled companies right into a roll-ups because we knew that, they, you know, basically the competitors were out there and there was like three or four companies in that industry. They were all backed by very large private equity and it was a race to see who could buy as many of the distributors across the nation as they could. So we knew we had ready buyers. We knew it was gonna be competitive and so we basically went out and searched out those guys and said, now is the time because look what's happening to the market and the valuations. And we saw the valuations basically start out years ago, you know, at the four or five times EBITDA level and so forth. And they just shot all the way up to eight times by the time everybody got competitive. Yeah. And sometimes higher. Depends on the oh, industry. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes exactly. lower. It, it, it all depends. It is a tale of two markets and there's a risk analysis. But in all uh, attributes, valuations for all industries are higher. 
Absolutely. Right. And as such, how do you kind of manage the process in terms of are you seeing more robust diligence uh, being performed on your clients? How do you help the client through uh, that yeah. M&A process you know, from an advisor perspective? You know, the Q of E, which the equality of earnings, which the accountants have created, is just an incredible niche and helpful to all of us. I know your firm does those things, and they are an incredible helpful thing because a lot of times in due diligence, everybody's managing the process. And you're trying to tell your client, here's how it's going to work. And we used to basically give our clients um, very large uh, due diligence request lists to get them primed for what was going to be asked of them because we always wanted them to be prepared for all the homework they were going to have to do because you know you can't just hand it off and say okay when are we closing there it's almost like they take on a second job trying to find all the old files all the old documents and somebody's going to be dissecting their business the q of e has actually made it easier to educate our clients because we'll take an old q of e report redact the names and so forth and we'll give it to our client almost in preparing themselves for sale because then they understand what you know cpas like yourself and I, myself will go in there and look at and see and it helps them understand first of all they don't understand why all these questions are being asked and why they need to know you know exactly why they transferred you know gifts from grandpa 27 years ago why they need the documentation on that the q of e <laughs> kind of gives them an explanation of, of why and what they're looking at and allows them to fill in the blanks and when they get done with that they actually sometimes, they, of course, they always want to say, "Well, well, do we get to see what they do?" And, and sometimes, sometimes the buyer will let them look. Sometimes the buyer doesn't. Um, but it's kind of a very, it's very educational for those owners to see how the outside companies look at them. Yeah, and with the higher valuations, there is a little bit of enhanced risk, and we are seeing, uh, you know, much robust diligence processes. In fact, we're working on a transaction right now where, literally, it's a publicly traded company. They have at least twenty professionals from Ernst & Young working on this project uh, from IT, cyber, to financial and tax diligence. And it it is, it's like a corporate enema that you're going through, but the, the client does learn a lot about the business and it's helping expedite the transaction, but it's also uh, helping keep the values at, uh, you know, at where they need to be you know, currently. When we, we used to do transactions, we used to do all the old war rooms where we'd compile all the documents. And now we have these wonderful data rooms where we can put everything and everybody can access it remotely from wherever they are. And so more and more people can, they can involve in the due diligence process. And as the, as the whole process moves along, it got very fast there for a while to close a transaction. You know, you talk about timing. Where we'd be able to close a transaction, we used to tell people six to eight months to close a transaction, start to finish, and everybody's like, okay, great. And then all of a sudden, when data rooms came along, it started speeding up and getting faster where we were telling people, hey, we can close this in probably five or six months without a problem. But then all of a sudden, when the prices started shooting up, more due diligence was being done, processes were taking longer, Q of E's became the, the, the common calling card for everybody. Now, all of a sudden, the process got dragged out and time was no longer as fast as it was. So it kind of slowed back down again, basically, to, you know, to let everybody you know, look under the hood. Now, are you seeing with the end of the year rush for potential tax increases, transaction timelines narrow a little bit to kind of get to the finish line for a 1231 close? We're, and we, we'll, we'll kind of talk about what you're seeing in the 2022. But, we're, uh, we're seeing a few push to get the thing closed before the end of the year. Whether they can get the, you know, they're, they're, they're pushing because they're, 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 they're fearful of the capital gains, but yet we're all seeing that the capital gains may already be backdated, so it may be, you know, not worth it. But there's a certain amount of 
the ordinary income tax being potentially raised next year. So there is a slight push for those that can do it. Um, there is actually a few that have actually pulled back and said they don't want to rush it anymore because of the fact that there's so much uncertainty. They're willing to take the risk to fall into January because they don't want to they don't want to rush and miss yeah. most most everybody's trying to get it done if they can get it done before the end of this year. So yeah, we've seen some condensed processes uh, to get done for that for the end of the year, and, and these for the most part have been very organized companies. They were ready for sale and uh, they've had their data. So uh, I know we have a transaction closing in November, less than a 60-day process from start to finish in terms of LOI signing and closing. Um, um, and that's becoming, I think, more of a norm for the quality companies. Um, um, we are telling clients now that are interested in selling, hey, we're going to embark on a process uh, after Jan you know, beginning in January. It's not going to happen this year because of uh, time constraints. We have seen some slowdowns because of the pandemic still now because of the fact that they're closing countries and the because we deal with a lot of foreign buyers also and they try to fly over here and we basically when we shut down the border we had to stop the deal because nobody could come into the country we can do zoom conferences and team conferences and all that wonderful things but it's still at the end of the day a buyer wants to walk the company floor he still wants to come over and shake the guy's hand have dinner and meet the guy and so forth and all of a sudden the border is closed and they can't so and that is a very good point, Tom, because we are seeing that uh, some of the diligence is largely more remote, you know, and we've talked about that in the previous podcast. Uh, um, but still the mechanics of, hey, I'm buying this company at a higher than usual price because uh, um, the markets tend, tend to be robust. I still want to see the company. I still want to meet the owner. And sometimes Zoom or Teams or whatever platform you're using for video conferencing, it works to a certain point, but eventually they have to get to the facility. Uh, you know, as you're you're working with a lot of clients, uh, you have a very strong market pres presence, Tom. Uh, as we kind of approach 2022, uh, what are your thoughts in terms of the market? Is this continuing on? We're seeing it continuing on. In fact, we're, we're, we're looking at the fact that there's going to probably be more buy side acquisitions going on into 22 than there was in 21 because that PPP loan money that was out there propping up a lot of small companies. We saw very few tack-ons on the small side because of the fact that normally in a recession, you see a lot of those fall out where they had to be sold. So mm -hmm. then they were, you know, they were free for the picking and you'd grab them and everybody would scoop them up. And, you know, that's the process we have for capitalism in the United States. What we're seeing is that PPP loan dropped those companies up, and now we're starting to see that money starting to run out. And now all of a sudden, those companies are presenting themselves of saying, okay, the trouble they got into is still persisting. It's time for them to sell. Now, you hate to be a seller, you know, when you don't have to, when you want, when you need to sell, but uh, we're seeing that there's going to be a lot of buying activity for basically being able to scoop up those companies. That's, there seemed to be, we were selling a lot more through the pandemic, which was kind of shocking to me. I thought I was, I actually thought when the pandemic hit, I was going to take two months off and go down to Cancun and slay on the beach. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the phone started ringing and I, I was, I was shocked. You know, I'm like, okay, I guess this isn't going to be like 08 and 09. I guess we're just going to plow right through this thing and see if we can do it. So, I mean, for me, the pandemic year was a record year. I loved it. So, and we're just not just seeing, we're seeing no stop in the amount of activity rolling into it. We're actually thinking that it's actually going to snowball a little bit more coming into next year as the pandemic is further behind us and the effect of that. And we start getting back to what's called normal business. Yeah. And, and there's no uh, additional PPP loans that I, that I'm aware of on no, the horizon. No. No. In fact, well, that last bill that just got passed for the infrastructure bill 
cut off the employee retention credit early. They brought it back from December back to September, so that, well, that stops more of the free, what's called, I hate to say the word free money, because it's actually the taxpayer's money, but it stopped more of that support is actually disappearing. Now, what we're also seeing as a quality uh, um, company where the owners are tired too because of the pandemic. So they're like, hey, you know, I survived this pandemic. Maybe 2022, 2023 may be a good year for us to uh, consider, you know, the still robust market. Um, any other hot points you want to consider during this robust uh, M&A environment? Like the, one more thing I like to throw out is, this is the, it's, it's with the employee shortage. It's the first time where I, when we take tours and we walk through, more people are asking about the employees. Usually they ask about the machines, the factory, you know, how they run things, how they ship things. And now the first question is, tell me about the employees. How many you got? Can we keep them? How, who, who's the key ones? It's the employee retention part is so hot. It's the number one item on the due diligence list. No, I agree. Employees and supply chain. And we can, we can have a whole podcast on the supply chain now. Agreed. Tom, on December 7th, MBBI will be hosting the 10th Annual Private Equity Connection at the Brookfield Conference Center. You are the conference chair. Um, what can you highlight? What can, what can we expect at this conference? Oh, appreciate that. We like to, uh, we, every year, we, this is our 10th year, we had to skip the pandemic year, unfortunately. Um, but we're putting the, it together in Brookfield. We had to move it to Brookfield because we, were having, we have over 300 attendees, so we've outgrown the last two facilities we've used, which is a good thing. Uh, we get a great mix of business owners, professionals, private equity groups showing up. This year, at our MBBI-style Shark Tank, we are actually presenting a company. Normally, I prepare a company that is, I make up a company for sale. I kind of give it to a softball to our four panelists, private equity groups, to make them bid just to see where the pricing is so that the people in the audience get an idea of how everybody's evaluating deals on a year-by-year -year basis. This year, we have a real company. The, the client has said, Tom, put it out there. Here's our name. Here's what we're doing. Find some private equity groups that are interested in us. See how they evaluate us. Maybe we'll actually cut a deal out of this transit. This it's almost like a live auction. Exactly, but it's going to be it's, it's going to be pre-negotiated. So there's no negotiation yet. So in other words, so it's going to be a raw pr presentation, sort of that first blush you get when you get it. Somebody sends you a letter of intent before you even negotiate it. So there still may be negotiation to be done and tweaks and turns to the structure, but it's gonna be very interesting because I am not telling my client any of this information until it gets presented to the audience. Oh, that is awesome. So, and you always surprise us. This, is, <laughs> this has become actually the marquee event for MBBI. It's coming again on December 7th. Uh, Tom, thank you for all of your hard work with that event. Appreciate thank it. you and very insightful uh, for your comments today on our podcast. Uh, Thank you, MBBI, the Enclave Learning and Earning Center, and Studio 75 for hosting us today. Our guest next month will be Steve Peterson with the private equity firm Bel Air Growth Partners. This is Greg Wolfin with Wifley Corporate Finance Advisors signing off for MBBI. Thank you and enjoy the day.